come together as a body, one unit, Father, like-minded, like faith, to hear your word, to learn from it, Father. I thank you that we receive tonight not just information for our heads, but revelation for our spirit, Father. I thank you that it becomes real within us. It's illuminated, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you give me your words to speak tonight, that I'm speaking truth, that we're speaking uh, what we're speaking is more important than who's saying it. And Father, that it's not about me, it's not about my words and my voice, but it's you using me, Father. So I thank you that uh, tonight your word goes forth with uh, free course. There will be no, uh, no division. There will be nothing that can hinder the word tonight. And I thank you that it, fo- it flows freely. It comes out freely, Father. I thank you that it creates power and life within us. Tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. I've got a message tonight that I think will, uh, I think it's going to help us all. It's going to hit home for us, I believe. And the title of my message is, Why Worry? Why Worry? I just want to make this statement real quick. I appreciate you guys staying committed and staying faithful on these Wednesday nights. I know that it can be a little more difficult to come out on Wednesday. We got school and work, but I appreciate your commitment to it. And I promise you uh, that it'll be worth uh, you coming out maybe staying up a little bit later, maybe sacrificing a weeknight where you're usually, you know, getting ready for the next day, recuperating from your day. But, um, you know, January, we see a good influx, and, and that's awesome. Uh, but I want you to stay encouraged to, to keep up with that on a regular basis because we need to do it beyond January and February and so forth. Those that have been coming, I want you to encourage them. You know, and, and be excited about it because we're not doing anything less than what we were doing in January. I'm not doing anything different or anything less exciting. It's the Word of God. So just be encouraged there. Uh, go with me to verse 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look. At the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the Oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. It's the key word there is seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. I want to talk to you about worry tonight. I believe that worry, um, I call it the silent killer. 
because it plays in your mind. It's not necessarily something that's on the outside that's screaming at you. It's just circumstances and things that you live in that cause your mind to go places. And so I want to talk about worry. And the actual definition of this Greek word here for worry is this. To divide into parts. Not in two parts, but into parts. I-N-T-O. To divide into parts. It carries the context with it of being distracted and preoccupied. That's what worry is. Worry carries with it the connotation, the worry that Jesus is talking about here, is he's talking about being distracted, having a distraction in your life, being preoccupied with something else in your mind. Here are some, uh, and, and these words, you may, this may take us back to elementary school, but synonyms and antonyms. Remember what synonyms are? That's something that means the same as. And antonyms are the opposite. That means something that is contrary to what. So synonyms for worry are distraction, preoccupation, anxiety, anxious, stress, pressure, concern, and care. Those are words that are like the word worry. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, if you read in the King James, Jesus actually uses the word there, take no thought. Instead of do not worry, he says take no thought. And he says uh, have no care. Where did, where did God tell us to cast our cares? On him. Okay. Here are some antonyms. Here are the opposite of worry. Calm. Reassurance, focused, peace, and rest. So we see here that worry is what takes place in the mind to distract you or to preoccupy you. The, the issue of worry is that we are in a position that we are not focused on the right thing. It has to do with focus. It has to do with what we have our mindset on what we're thinking about. Now, you might be thinking, well, what am I distracted from? I mean, if I'm focused on worry, then I'm focused on worry. What am I distracted from? Well, if we go to verse 33, Jesus answers the question and he says, Seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we see that Jesus answers this question and answers this problem of worry in our lives with seeking or going after something. What's he saying? Put your focus on something else. The answer to worry is what you seek after. Now, here's the thing about all these things. He says here, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Uh, you know, um, I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. But those are three out of the five things that people, in, in, that every human being is concerned about in life. Every single human being is concerned about what they will eat, what they will drink, what they will wear. I know another one is, where will I live? And then the, the fifth one, I can't remember. But every human being has those thoughts in common. Now, here's the question that I have to ask. Every single one of those things, are those not, are, are they concerns that we've had our entire lives, infant all the way up? Did, did we have to drink something? 
As a baby, do you have to drink something? Do you have to have something to eat? Do you have to wear something? Have you ever noticed that children, they don't worry about those things? Anybody notice that? They don't worry about how much money is in the bank account. They don't worry about do we have enough cereal. They don't worry about uh, the electric bill. They don't worry about the rent, the mortgage payment, the car payment. Is there enough gas in the car to get me from point A to point B? They're not thinking about those things. These are needs that we have had our entire lives, but somewhere in our lives there's a shift to where we begin to carry the burden. Now, why is this important? Because I believe that worry is the result. Here it is. Worry is the result of thinking you're the only one that's concerned for your life. Because here's the thing. For your life specifically, nobody else on the face of this planet woke up thinking about you. And what you woke up thinking about. Nobody did. Nobody did. You don't wake up thinking about, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be able to pay their mortgage payment this month. No, you're thinking about your mortgage payment. Nobody else on the face of the planet. So worry is the result of thinking that no one else is thinking about your stuff. Now children, they don't have this problem. Because they know every morning they wake up and every night that they go to bed, someone else is thinking about my stuff. Someone else has my life in their hands. It's on them. And so they live their carefree, worry-free lives. And we did it too. Teenagers, I know me uh, as a teen, if I needed something, I could go to my dad. Hey, Dad, you have 20 bucks? I'm going out this weekend. No thought here. To him, he might be thinking, I need the 20 bucks for such and such. I, I'm not thinking about that. But there was a day, and for some, for some children, it's 18. Some children, you know, their parents carry them a little bit longer. I moved out of my house three months after I graduated, and I went out of state. Out of sight, out of mind, paying rent, doing those things. Now, my parents helped me out, and I had a connection. I, I'm not even going to lie to you. I had a connection. They blessed me while I was in school. They certainly did. But I did have a thought process because I was the one writing the checks now. And I began to think, that I, I began to see they're not just a flow of access into my life anymore. I began to look at numbers and see, wow, th it costs this much to do this, and to have a phone and to, you know, have a car payment and, and insurance. And, and I began to see some things differently than I did six months before that. Because when I was in high school, uh, you know, my, my parents didn't really make me take on a whole lot of responsibilities in the form of finances. I had a job and I made my own money, but I wasn't, you know, paying for, you know, buying my own groceries and paying my car payment and doing those type of things. Everybody's different. Everybody's different, okay? So there was a different thought process there. Why is this important? Because if worry is the result of thinking that you're the only one that's dealing with your problem, 
And how many of you would say that most people's lives are in a worry zone? <laughs> are people worried today in America, around the world? It doesn't matter if you make $25,000 a year or $2.5 million a year. People are in worry. Why? Because I'm the only one on this planet that's concerned for my well-being. This is how children leave. Uh, I, I found this out when I moved up here. I began to think about things in October of 2011 that I had never thought about before. And what it takes to run a business and pastor a church. And you are the head. And pastor told me all the time, he said, there's things that I can, pa- there's things that I can prepare you for. There's things I can get you set up for. And I, can, I can educate on and I can, I can help you and you can see in my life. But there's one thing I cannot prepare you for when you, turn, when you become a senior pastor. There's one thing. And that's being the top. I can't do it. That, the buck stops with you. Because before I could turn and say, I'll talk to the pastor about that. Hey, I'm there. There's no turning around saying, you know, let me, I'll, I'll talk to you, Pastor, about it and get back with you. Or let's, let's set up a meeting with Pastor. No, it's, let's set up a meeting with me. Financially making decisions and seeing that now and what that takes. That, a thought process I never had. Why? Because someone else is concerned with that. Down in St. Augustine, I showed up every week, and I had no idea what the electric payment was, what the rent payment was what it took to run, uh, you know, uh, lights and water in there. I had no idea how much toilet paper we used, how often we needed to buy paper towels. We don't think about those things. I remember Pastor Earl, you know, when, when we moved out of Gamble Rogers Middle School down in St. Augustine and got our own building, we hit that because at the school we didn't have to worry about cleaning supplies, we didn't have to worry about toilet paper, paper towels. All that stuff is set up in the school, soap. And so, Pastor Earl goes, you know, you know, people, they just walk up in there and grab a whole f- handful of paper towels, you know, get the whole chunk out of there. It's like, oh, wow, I got too much. And they just throw the rest away. And he said he found himself w- going into restaurants and that happening to him. And then he d- tried to stuff it back in there. Why? Because now you have a different, you have a different mindset, a different thought process of this stuff. Co- this is money right here. It's a different mindset. Why is this important? Because Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6 to look at the sparrow. That they don't worry about anything. Why? He says because their heavenly father takes care of them. Their heavenly father takes care of them. Look at the lilies of the field and how awesomely they are clothed. And they don't toil or spin. Toil is the man working in the field. Spin is the female, the wife, the woman making clothes. That's what he's referring to there. And the lilies of the field, how awesome they look, they don't think about any of that. Why? Because God in heaven takes care of them. And that's what he tells us to look at. Why? He says, you need to become like children again. Because here's the thing, when you wake up every morning, you are not the only one thinking about your 
well-being. You are not the only one waking up today concerned for your life. Although we feel like that every single day. Nobody else knows my problems. No one else knows what I'm going through. No one else knows. And we forget that God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, knows everything and already has the answer. So that's why he says, take no thought. Do not worry. That's what he's saying there. Worry takes place in your mind. Worry is a position that the enemy gets us in to make us think that everything that's going on, we're the only ones. Look, there may not be any other person on the face of the planet in the flesh that is concerned for your well-being and is waking up in the morning thinking about it. I mean, the, 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 the credit card companies, they're not concerned about that. When it's time to make a payment, it's time to make a payment. And they're not thinking, well, I wonder if they can really, I wonder if they're doing all right. Maybe they need a little help. No, who are they concerned about? Themselves. You realize God is the only one in the entire world that's not concerned about himself. His only concern is us. His creation. The earth. He's the only one. So that right there is the number one step to getting out of worry, is realizing I'm not the only one waking up every morning thinking about me. I was listening today to a pastor who was uh, out in Oklahoma, and, and you know today his church is large and they're doing good. And, but you know when he first started his ministry about 25 years ago, I think he said, maybe even longer than that, uh, he was traveling. And he was traveling to different places, and he said every time they, they would collect an offering and give it to him, every single time, he said it never failed. The pastor would hand him the check, and as he was handing him the check, he would say, yeah, I, I'm really embarrassed by this. I apologize. I, I, I wish we could do more. Every single time. <laughs> and he realized, when I go minister, these people aren't thinking about, I wonder how he's doing. I wonder you know, what he needs to take care of this trip. I wonder how much his plane ticket costs. I wonder how much you know, his hotel was last night. I wonder you know, uh, uh, how much his electric bill is, you know, since this is. None of them were thinking about that. And that's what causes worry in our lives. Because when you think you're the only one thinking about it and you're left to your resources to fix it, yeah, you got a reason to worry. But Jesus says here, do not worry. Do not have to worry because your heavenly Father knows of your needs before you even ask. So I want to talk about getting out of this Worry. Go to James chapter 1. Go to James chapter 1. This worry thing in our lives, it seems to show up around the age 18. For some people, it might be a little earlier. Some people, it might be a little later. But this is about where that worry comes in because all of a sudden, we begin to take on responsibilities that cause our minds to go somewhere. And as long as you think you're limited to your resources... Worry's going to show up. And so we just saw that worry is the result of thinking that you're the only one concerned with your life. Worry, the definition of worry is 
to divide into parts. That means that we are distracted. Our minds are in two places. So watch what James says here in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Receive anything. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's he talking about? He's talking about someone that's walking in worry. He says, ask in faith without doubting. So we have two positions here. We have faith and we have doubting. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? He said, do not worry. And then in one of those verses he says, oh, you of little faith. So he says here in James chapter 1, James says that when you ask, ask in faith without doubting. I'm giving you two positions to be in. You can pick one or the other. But if you are, if you say you're in faith and then you doubt, you are a double-minded man, unstable like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro, you will receive nothing, he says. Double-minded, distracted, preoccupied, trying to be in two places at one time. This is the life of a worry, of a person in worry. This is the life that we see many people running in circles because they get excited and then they get let down. And then they get excited and then they doubt. And then they get in faith and then they walk in unbelief. A double-minded person will receive nothing, this verse says. You will be unstable, tossed to and fro. And I'd venture to say that most people in the world today, especially in the United States of America, are tossed to and fro on waves. Their life is on rocky waters being crashed around and whatever comes and just constantly being moved from here to there. That is the life of a person that is in worry. This is the mind of someone that is unfocused. If worry uh, means to be unfocused, divide into parts, be split in two, then this is a double-minded man. If the opposite of that is focused, calm, at peace, assured, then we are looking at a double-minded man. That is a person that is unfocused, distracted, preoccupied. So here's the problem. Here's the problem is we have put our focus on the wrong thing. Because what we do is we, put, we focus on the problem rather than the one who can fix the problem. And that's where worry sets in. For some people, this is a serious issue. For some people, they take medication for this stuff. For some people, they have such a hard time settling their minds. And they're double-minded, split in two. One day they're doing good. One day they're doing bad. One second they've got their mind on the right thing. And the next second they got their mind on the wrong thing. And Jesus' answer, it's not getting the problem fixed. Jesus' answer is a focus issue. 
He says, if you're worried, you're distracted, you're preoccupied, you have your mind going in a million different places, he said the answer is focus. The answer is putting up blinders. The answer is getting rid of alternatives. The answer is getting your mind set on one thing. One thing. Look, distractions, preoccupation, worry, it's all a result of having too many ways to fix one problem. And we think if we fix the problem, say you're, say you're anxious about money. Say that you're, that you're just constantly worried about money. We just never seem to be able to make it. We're always tight. It, we're always barely making it from paycheck to paycheck. Say it's financial. The answer to getting rid of the worry is not getting in a better financial situation according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. His answer to uh, not thinking about what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, what am I going to drink, his answer was not get food, get something to drink, go buy yourself clothes. That was not his answer. What was his answer in verse 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus' answer for worry is not a materialistic, natural thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is what are you seeking, what are you focused on? That's his answer. And then what does he promise behind that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. You know what that word added means? That word added means you did nothing to get it. That's what added means. See, your paycheck that you get every week, every two weeks, however often you get paid, that's not added. Because you work for that. You put something in to get something back. You can't say, God added to me, uh, you know, uh, $640. That's what my paycheck was this week. Or every two weeks or whatever. No, it wasn't added. But if someone comes in and says, you know what, here's, here's $50. I just wanted to bless you today. That's added. You did nothing for that. And so Jesus promises. He promises. If you seek first the kingdom and righteousness in that kingdom, then all these things will be added. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. What's he saying? That you will never have to seek for those things. You will never have to work for those things. He says the Gentiles, they seek after these things. They're seeking at the natural thing, thinking that will fix the worry issue. But in essence, they're focused on the wrong thing to begin with. But he says, if you focus on my kingdom and righteousness in my kingdom... Those things will be added, which means you will never, that means all of your work and all of your toil and all of your momentum is going towards advancing the kingdom, and those things are added. Now, what does he mean by the kingdom? What does he mean by the kingdom of God? How do you seek first the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, in essence, is God's rule, his way of doing things. That's what that means. His way of doing things. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, it is contrary to your way of doing things. <laughs> it is the opposite of the, your way, 
our way, the world's way of getting things done. How so? Well, the world tells us eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. If someone slaps you in the face, you turn the other cheek. Someone takes your shirt, you go ahead and give them your jacket as well. If someone says, go with me a mile, you go with them too. Contrary to what the world says to do. The world says if you want more, then hoard it and keep it and steal it and get whatever you can. And Jesus says, if you want more, give what you have away. Contrary, the kingdom of God. His way of doing things. What is righteousness? Righteousness is your position in the kingdom, and it is a position of being in right alignment with the authority. So seek first God's way of doing it, doing things, and then do it, is what he's saying. Seek first God's way of doing things, and then do it. And again, holiness is a result of righteousness, not the other way around. See, holiness is the action part of the righteousness with the Spirit. We are made righteous. As soon as you say that prayer, you are righteous. You can turn around, go and cuss someone out, but you are righteous. Now we need to work on holiness. But see, you can do everything right and have a wrong heart, and you can be holy without being righteous in one sense. But you can't really be holy without being righteous because the first holy act you need to make is being righteous. But you can look good on the outside like the Pharisees. They prayed on the corners. They read their testaments and laws. And they obeyed decrees. And Jesus said, You're, you, you speak about me, but your heart is far from me. So there's righteousness versus holiness. How do we seek what do we focus on? What do we go after? God's rule. God's way of doing things. This is the first step. You will not get out of worry doing things your way. Period. Find out how God wants to do it. Find out how God wants you to treat that person that's not walking in love to you. Find out how God wants you to raise your children. Find out how God wants you to handle your finances. Find out how God wants you to treat an employer that's treating you improperly. Find out how God wants you to operate in the church. Find out how God wants you to operate in the earth and then righteously do it with the right heart. Those are the first two steps to getting out of worry. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man, one that is in worry, one that is distracted, one that is preoccupied, that is caring for their own stuff, and only thinking about themselves, you will always be in that cycle of worry. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The answer for worry... The first solution to getting out of worry is seeking the kingdom of God. If you don't want to do that, then you won't get out of worry. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Well, that's pretty disrupting for a lot of people. That's disappointing. 
Because this whole time, they thought the natural thing was what they were going after the whole time. My finances, that's my problem. No, according to this, that's not what you're warring against. Getting the right job, my business, if I could just get that right. No, according to this verse, you don't fight against that stuff, the natural fleshly stuff. So right there, that already messes up some people. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we have weapons? Yeah, you have something to fight back with. But they're not natural. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here it is. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you get out of worry? First thing is seek first the kingdom of God. Get your focus on his way of doing things. Get your focus off of your way of doing things. Realizing that you're not the only one thinking about your life. You have a heavenly father that knows everything you need before you even need it. Already has the solution before you get in the problem. And now here we are bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're talking about battling worry, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself. So there is a shutting down of what's coming into your mind, casting down thoughts. Now, this verse bothered me for a long time. Those of you that heard me preach along these lines have heard this before, but that bothered me because how do you not think about something? How do you just not think about it? I'm not going to think about that bill I have tomorrow. I'm not going to think about that, that payment that I got to make. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about how uh, I don't have the money for it. I, I can't, I'm not going to think about how if I don't pay my rent, they're going to evict me. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. No, I'm not thinking about it. I'm happy. I'm excited. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. It doesn't work. How do you just not think about something? How do you cast down a thought and take it captive? That means get it in your mind and lock it up to where it doesn't have free reign. That's what it means to take captive. If you take someone captive, they don't have a free reign to do whatever they want. You dictate. They don't. So how do you take a thought that seems to just jump into our mind and just run around and do all kinds of things? You know what we call that? Your imagination. And I like to think of our imagination like technology, such as social media. I like to think about it like that because social media, I'm, all exci- I'm excited about the advances of social media. But I'm not excited about the bad side of social media. The advances of technology and what we can do today and how I can use it for the church and for the kingdom and for me personally to get in touch with people, to reach people that I may not ever be able to reach. It's awesome. But there's also a side of social media that is a digression. It's not an advancement at all. And we all know this. 
Because social media is really for people that have willpower. Social media is really for people that have a filter. Social media is really for people that have some sort of self-control, not ones that spout off whatever comes into their mind. That's not what social media is for. So our imagination, I think about it that way. Your imagination can be awesome. In fact, God gave you your imagination. But it can also be used in the wrong way. And the enemy, here's what the enemy does. The second point. The devil, he takes, remember remember this. Let me say this first. You are a three-part being. We are all three-part beings. Every single person here, no one is excluded. You are a spirit. You are not what's on the outside. Go ahead and get that clear. What's on the outside is a house for your vehicle while you're in this planet because you cannot be in this planet without it. But the real you, no one has seen and no one will ever see till we get to heaven. So go ahead and get that out. Your spirit is the real you. You possess a soul. Some people get those mixed up and think your spirit and soul are the same thing, but that can't be possible because Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God will divide between soul and spirit. So you possess a soul. You have a soul. What is your soul? It is your mind, it is your will, and it is your emotions. It is what you think, it is what you want to do, and it is how you feel. That is your soul realm. Then we get to the part on the outside, which is your flesh. That's the loudest. That's the one we put the most emphasis on. That's the one that we spend all kinds of money trying to fix up and get better. And that's the one that we're always trying to make look good and and make sound good. It's the loudest part of our body. It's the one that screams at us the most. That's your flesh. So here's what the devil does. He takes experiences that you have in your flesh causes them to influence your mind and silence your spirit. That's what he does. He takes experiences that never change this. Nothing will ever change this. The word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He takes experiences that happen in our flesh realm, causes them to influence us in our soul realm, in our mind, and silence our spirit. See, your your mind is stuck in the middle. It's right here. And on one side, you have flesh. One side, you have spirit. Anyone seen those cartoons where someone had a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and they're trying to influence? It's just like that. That's very real. You have your flesh, except on this side, it's not the devil. Because the devil doesn't have any access in our lives, believers. People in the world, before you get saved, he he has free reign. They can't do anything. The weapons that they fight with are carnal. It's medication and therapy and getting more money and Marrying a different person and having another child and buying a bigger house and getting a newer car. That's their way of getting rid of worry. And you have weapons that are carnal that 
that are not strong and mighty in God. But we're talking about believers that have weapons that are not carnal. They're spiritual. And so on one shoulder, it's not the devil, it's you, your flesh. That's who you battle every day. On the other side is your spirit, who always wants to do right. Who knows exactly what to do every single time. Why? Because the Bible tells me in Romans chapter 8 that my spirit communicates to God, who is a spirit. And you know God ain't communicating no junk. You know he's sending down, okay, this is how we need to do it. No, you, you, you don't want to talk to that person that way. No, you don't want to say it that way. No, you, you don't want to go into business with this person. No, you, you, you don't want to do that. No, you don't want to get on the computer and look at that. No, you, you don't want to watch that movie. That's what your spirit's saying. And your spirit knows how to do it right every single time. Period. So our mind is stuck in the middle between these two forces. And worry shows up because the enemy uses what happens in this realm to influence the mind who's in the middle and silence your spirit. Shuts it out. And even though your spirit knows to do right every single time, you get it wrong because you listen to this guy over here. So, we have weapons to cast down those thoughts that come in from the flesh. Come in from experience. I, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's no experience you can give me that will change the word of God. There's nothing you've ever gone through. There's nothing your grandma's ever gone through. There's nothing your aunt's ever gone through that will change what this Bible says. I know people right now are concerned that they're going to die at an early age because their dad died at an early age. And he was a believer. And he was a faith person. And he loved God. And he had cancer, so I'm going to have cancer. I know people right now. They've got the day marked in their head. They've got the age. It's in their brain. You know what? My, my, my dad, you know, he, he, he dealt with alcoholism, so, you know, I guess I'm just not going to break this thing. Well, since when does your experience or someone else's experience change what this says? Never does. You can't argue with the word. This will shut it down every time. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. I'm sorry about your experience, but let me tell you what the word says. I, I can't come off of that. It don't, it's not going to change it. So the devil uses experiences in our lives that happen in our flesh realm to influence our mind, our soul realm, our mind, our will, our emotion. Man, when we get to the emotions level, we're, we get it. Emotions are real. Emotions are strong. And when emotions win, it is hard for that spirit to get back in. Emotional people are the hardest ones to work with. Because that is a realm that is real. It's your soul realm. But it doesn't change the spirit. So I, we got to get back to the spirit. We got to get back to what is the spirit saying. We got to get back to what the word is saying. So we got to cast down some thoughts. And this is where I get stuck with people a lot. This is where I used to get stuck myself a lot, was casting down thought. How do I cast down the thoughts? 
I mean, literally, the thoughts that are coming into my mind, how do you just not think about it? How do you get rid of them? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm telling you, we got to get rid of worry. Worry is a killer. You don't lose because you don't have resources. You lose because we don't use what we have. And we got to start winning. And worry will kill. Worry will destroy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. Wow. I mean, we can just stop right there. Be anxious for nothing. Let me give you a little insight. The writer who wrote those four words is Paul. And you should take some time to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read his resume. The man that said, be anxious for nothing, was literally having his life threatened on a regular basis for preaching about Jesus. Beaten five times, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. He actually died, came back to life, and went right back in the city preaching. I mean, if someone keys my car, I'm thinking about leaving and going somewhere else. If someone puts something mean on Facebook, forget it, I'm out of here. Nothing to deal with these people. He got put to death by stoning and then walks back up and goes back in and starts preaching again. Be anxious for nothing. In, in another place, he, he told someone, count it all joy. Yeah, you got to be kidding me, count it all joy. He don't know my life. He don't know the bills I got to pay. He doesn't know the boss I work for. He doesn't know the coworkers I have to deal with. He doesn't know the, you know, the, the family I have. These are people that live real lives. Had some real situations that brought on some real worry. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication. Aren't you glad he didn't just put a period there? Aren't you glad he didn't just say, be anxious for nothing? Now, next point. No, he says, be anxious for nothing, comma, but in prayer and supplication, what? Give thanks. With, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Through thanksgiving. Being thankful. See, when you really want to study the Bible and when you really want to get in, you get past the be anxious for nothing, okay, that's not real, I'm moving on. And you realize they actually give you an alternative to being anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And most of the time, we're not even making requests to God. We're just crying out to Him and letting Him know how bad it is. So the first answer he has here for be anxious for nothing, his first answer is, what is your communication with God like? This is real stuff right now. This is real. Because this hits home for everybody. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God. Peace is the antonym, the opposite of worry. The peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Will guard. And that word guard is a military term. That means to stand in protection of. It gives the connotation in the Greek of soldiers standing out in front of a city and not letting anything that would do harm to the city, letting it in. Not letting it in. That's the connotation. That is what it carries with it. Okay? Stay with me here. That is what it means to guard your heart and to guard your mind through Christ Jesus. It will stand protection. Next, he says, finally, brethren, and here we go. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate means to think on and 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 think on. Not think on it once and then walk away from it. To constantly keep it in front of you. It, it, it carries the connotation of chewing something. Meditate on it. Speak it with your mouth. Think it. Meditate on it. Have it in front of you. Read it. Keep your eyes in front of it. Keep it in front of your ears. That's what you keep in front of you. That's what he tells you to do. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Watch this. Show me someone who is worried. Show me someone who is living a concerned life. Show me someone that is always concerned and worried. And I will show you someone who is not in the word of God. Period. You can't tell me you read your Bible and meditate and chew on it and think on things that are true and think on things that are noble and just and of good report and anything that's praiseworthy and anything that's of virtue. You can't tell me you, you meditate on that stuff and you're worried. Show me someone who lives a life of worry, and I will show you someone that is not in this. It's the first thing I go to. Someone tells me that, you know, man, I'm just concerned. I've just got anxiety about this. I'm just anxious. Right here. Get in this. Get some messages that are going to line up with what you're saying. Get some verses that are going to line up with what you're saying. Get around people that will speak words of life into you, not words of death and concern and, well, it's going to be okay, bro. Let me just pat you on the back and make you feel all better. I'm dealing with the same thing. Like, I don't want someone that's down in the pit with me trying to get me out. I want someone that's sitting outside with a rope saying, hey, I got life for you. Just grab onto this and I'll yank you up. It's, it's appalling to me, the people we hang out with. And then we wonder why we are the way we are. Well, let's look at the nature of the people we're with and why are we in the same boat with them? Let's get out of the, the boat. Get out of that boat. Get in a boat that's going somewhere. So we've got, these are things we have to look at. 
people that have money problems and, and are, are concerned with finances, they're probably hanging around people. And I have done something in my life that has changed my life. And I want to spend time hanging out with people that are better than me. I want to hang out with people that are millionaires. I want to hang out with people that have a great marriage. I want to hang out with people that, that love God more than I do and that are more disciplined than I am. I want to hang out with pastors that are doing something exciting, not, not ones that are uh, in, in the same boat or doing worse. I want to hang around people that are lifting me up, not dragging me down. Well, you know, they need Jesus too. If they're bringing you down, you are doing them no good and you're doing yourself no good. Well, I mean, you know, you know, they're my friends, you know, and, 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 and you know, they're having, you know, an alcohol issue just like I'm having. But, you know, I really think I can witness to them. Okay, well, are you witnessing or are you drinking with them? And is it a temptation to be around them and smell their breath and see how much fun they're having partying? Maybe we need to cut that thing off and saying, me and you, we're not helping each other out. I got to find a new group. Let me find some people that know how to drink something different. Let me find some people that know how to have a good time sober. Let me find some people that know how to uh, spend money wisely. Let me find some people that know how to have a good marriage. Let me find some people that are doing good in business. Why, why am I worried? Why am I concerned? It's because the environments that we put ourselves in in the flesh scream at our minds and silence the spirit. Now, here's the thing. Your spirit's never going to scream. One, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he forces nothing. Remember, the Holy Spirit's a person, not a feeling or a thing. He is a person. He. But he's not going to shout at you and say, this is what I told you to do. Think on things that are of good report. Nope, he's going to say, now remember. If we think on things that are true, think on things that are just. If you can't hear the Holy Spirit, something else is too loud. Something else is talking. Something else is making way too much noise. If we are in situations where we ought to be hearing the Holy Spirit telling us to get out of that, don't do this, don't talk that way, don't live that way, and we can't hear it, something else is making a lot more noise. So the key is getting the flesh tuned out so we can hear the Holy Spirit who's on the inside. I'm going to read this to you in the New Living Translation. Philippians 4, 6 through 9, it really brings it home. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What's he saying? Instead of sitting there worrying about it, talk to God about it. When's the last time we talked to God about our situation? Instead of talking to everybody else about our situation. You've heard me say before that confusion is the result of lending your ear to too many voices. Well, I'm confused. I don't know about which way to go. I'm worried. I'm concerned. Well, let's get it down to one voice. Well, you know, my mom says we should do it this way, and my dad says I could do it this way, and, and my friend could, you know, they did it this way, and, and, and then my, my grandfather and the lady at work and my employer, and, and I've got 10 different ways to fix one situation. When there is one person the entire time that knows how to fix it every time. 
So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And that's not thank him when you get it. That's thank him before you get it. Need to clarify that because then sometimes we just find ourselves praying over and over. You should pray once and thank every time after that until you see it. Kenneth Hagin, he said, I only pray about things one time. Because if I believe Mark chapter 11, verse 23 properly, believe that those things that you receive, you have them when you pray, then why am I still asking for it? So you pray once. Father, I thank you that through your word, you have said that you are my source. So I ask you to be my provider, to take, help me take care of my finances. Show me what I need to do. And then every time it's, thank you, Father, for helping me with my finances. Thank you, God, for helping me with this bill. Thank you, God, for getting this sickness out of my body. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It will literally stand outside that peace that you end up getting, it will stand outside of your heart and your mind and it will not let things in. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is the answer. How do you take thoughts captive? Replace the thoughts with his word. That is where most people fail. Well, I'm still worried. I'm still concerned. I still can't. You haven't gotten here. You're not thinking on what's true. You're not thinking on what is noble. You're not thinking on what is right. You're still processing the old stuff. You cannot leave your mind empty. Something will come in. Something will take over your mind. Some thought will show up. Some thought will get in there and run its course and have its way because it doesn't operate empty. You have to replace it with something. Second Chronicles chapter 20, I'm not going to read it. It's, it's in you version. If I gave homework, that would be it. Go read that chapter, verses 1 through 30. It's a story of a king named Jehoshaphat. And he is the king of God's people, Israel. And three nations come against him that completely outnumber them, completely outweigh them, stronger and mightier than his nation. And he gets a report from his people. These three nations, they're on their way to come get us. They're coming to fight us and, and make war with us. And his statement in verse 3, it says he was moved with fear. But watch this. And he set himself 
to seek the Lord. Seek. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6.33? Seek. He said, to get your focus, uh, get your mind unfocused off of the bad and what's bringing you worry and what's bringing you concern is to seek and get it focused on the right thing. Quit being distracted. Quit being preoccupied. Now you got to think about this. These people are able to tell the king that there are nations on the way. They don't have the technology we have today. So how close do you think they have to be to realize somebody's here to attack us? Not very far off. It's right there on his doorstep. And instead of going to his military personnel, instead of going to his leaders, instead of going to his elders, instead of going to the priests, he goes to God. And then he gets the entire nation to get on their face fast and seek God. He says, there's no way I'm going to get peace about this situation. There's no way I'm going to win and overcome this situation unless I seek the Lord. Here's my third point. Anxious people never win. Anxious people never win. If you don't experience God's peace in your life, you will never get your answer. What you're believing for, what you're trying to overcome, what you're trying to get delivered from, what you're trying to see get better in your life, it will not change until you experience God's peace. And how do we experience his peace? Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, whatever is a virtue, whatever is praiseworthy and trustworthy, think on these things. It's by seeking him and his kingdom. That is how we receive peace into our lives. And you won't win and you won't receive God's blessings in your life until you experience his peace in your life. Anxious people never win. Anxiety always loses. Anxiety will always lose. There's no way you can win. Because if you don't win the battle of your mind, you don't win the battle in life. Where your mind goes, your life goes. And we're trying to defeat this battle without first overcoming this battle. Without first defeating this here. You want to think about trash. And you want to think about what's going wrong. And you want to think about how horrible it is. And think it's going to be defeated? Doesn't work that way. That's why he said, seek first my kingdom and righteousness. Because your way of doing it is wrong. And it will take you down the wrong road. And it will do nothing for you. And it will only bury you even more. But if you seek my way of doing it, if you get rid of every other idea and every other confusing thought and everything that the devil brings that's contrary to my word, if you, if you dwell on that, meditate on that, think on that, you will be that. But if you can get in my word, that brings life. That brings peace. Then you'll start winning in life. Then you'll start overcoming situations. 
I have a low tolerance for people that don't want to get in his word. Because another, I, I heard, I hope you're ready for this. I'm going to throw it out there. Worry is temporary atheism. To be worried is to say, there is no God and he can do nothing for me. If you are worried, concerned, anxious, and not at peace about something, because what does he say? Cast all your cares on him. Cast them all on him. Give no thought. Do not worry. It says here uh, in the New Living Translation to fix your mind. You know what that word fix means? That's fixed on a solid rock that's not movable, not shakable, and there's nothing you can do to get me off of this. I'm there. You can't move me. I'm not going anywhere. I am fixed on the word of God. I have fixed my mind. That means it can't be shaken. That means things contrary could come, but it will not move me. It will not shake me. I'm going to give you these last three verses. I'm just putting them up on the screen real quick. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you want to operate like the world, then think like the world. If you want to operate like the kingdom of God, then think like the kingdom of God because it is life and peace. The world only offers death. To be carnally minded. What does that mean? To think like the world. To have a system, a systematic thought process of the world. To respond the way the world does. To do things the way the world does. To live the way the world does. That is carnal. It is contrary to the word of God and it will bring death in your situation. You will lose. Anxiety never wins. Anxiousness never wins. I've never seen one person that was worried, concerned to death about something and saw them overcome. Never seen it. You may have had temporary victories in life, but overall you have lost the battle. You have lost the war. Because you have allowed worry to rule in your life. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. Last two verses right here. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. You will keep him in peace. Not because he goes to church. Not because he talks about you around your Christian friends. Not because uh, he thinks he's got it one minute and doesn't have it the next. He is brought into peace because he trusts you and his mind is stayed, not going anywhere upon you. In the, in the New Living Translation, it says it like this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. All whose mindsets cannot be moved off the word of God. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. 
Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your minds on things above. Not on things of the earth. Set your mind on things above. Not on things below. That means get your mind outside of your current environment. Get your thought process outside of what is currently going on in your life. A lot of people don't even realize what worry is doing to them as it is destroying their lives little by little. They don't even realize it. In fact, in our day and age and in our culture, it's almost, I mean, literally, think about this. It's normal to worry about something. And if you tell someone you're not concerned or worried about anything and nothing can ever worry you and nothing can ever concern you, they would think you're an idiot and a liar. What happens if you lose your job tomorrow? I wouldn't be worried. I'd count it all joy. I'd rejoice, and again, I'd say I'd rejoice. I'm not anxious for anything. What would I do about it? I'd pray about it. Because with all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I would actually thank God for the opportunity to find a different place to make influence for the kingdom of God. What would your response be? That's weird. That's stupid to the world. That doesn't make sense. It is abnormal to this culture. The true life of the believer will be abnormal to everything that's around us. Because the kingdom of God is contrary to everything that's around us. So we have to get our minds in a different place. Why worry? Why worry? That question right there, those two words. And the world has so many answers they could list down here. Why worry? Well, because people are going up into elementary schools and now shooting up the place. What am I supposed to do with my kids? Who can I trust? Why worry? Because everybody is getting laid off at my job, and I'm probably the next one. Why worry? Because my industry and the current thing that I'm doing has been outdated. They found computers to do it. They don't need us anymore. Why worry? Because my, my husband won't treat me the way he's supposed to treat me. Why worry? Because I can't seem to make it paycheck to paycheck. We can come up with a whole list of why worry. But yet Paul says be anxious for nothing. That means for every single situation that comes up in your life that you've ever had, that you have right now, or that you ever will have, God already has the answer for it. Jesus gave it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, seek first. He said, Quit focusing on everything else that is distracting you, that is preoccupying your mind. And seek first the kingdom of God. Do like King Jehoshaphat. Who was moved by fear, but sought the Lord. We have to take on this life. We have to be this. I'm telling you right now, as light in darkness, 
People are looking for someone to stand up and say, I'm not concerned about it. Well, I worry every day about my kids. You know, every time I drop them off, worry, you know, what's going to happen? Who are they talking to? Who are they being influenced by? Well, I'm not worried about it. I thank God. You know, I pray that, you know, the words that I'm giving my children and how I'm raising them, that it will come up within them when they're influenced by something that is contrary to that and that they will stand up for the kingdom. And I thank God that his angels are protecting my children. I thank God that they are safe as I send them off. And I trust him. I don't leave it to the school system. I don't leave it to police officers. I don't leave it to the president of the United States to come up with a better gun law. I don't leave it to anything in this natural realm because I have a God in the spirit realm and I have my mind set on things above, not on things below. My mind is fixed on him and I trust in him and so he brings me peace. Peace is such a foregone conclusion these days. People don't know what peace is. They have no idea what peace is. You might be peaceful for a little bit, but it's not lasting. But Philippians chapter 4 promises a peace that you won't even comprehend. It surpasses the mentality. Why are you at peace? You know what? I can't even honestly tell you. I can't really comprehend it, but I'm at peace. I'm not worried about anything. Because I've learned to shut out the experiences in the flesh. So my, can, my, so my spirit can talk and I can get past all that garbage. Well, how do you do that? Well, I stay in the word. I go to church. I listen to messages. I, I, I'm constantly filling myself up with the word of God. We don't have time for worry. We don't have time to, to, uh, to, to, to give ourselves to anything that would cause us to worry. If your bank account is causing you to worry, then don't look at it. Whatever it is, shut it off, shut it out, get rid of it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Find out his way of doing things. Seek first his righteousness. That, that, that's a big one. People want to get rid of worry, but they don't want to talk about, well, let's get our life in alignment. We're still, we still have this happen. We still have this addiction. We're still dealing with this. Well, let's just go ahead and take care of that and get rid of that. I find it very hard for people to overcome in natural ways when natural things are still overcoming them. I don't see a lot of people that give themselves to something in the natural that controls them and they can't break it, they can't get rid of it. I don't see those people overcoming and defeating things naturally. And that's biblical. Because Adam lost his right over this area because he gave to something natural of fruit and it controlled him. Jesus told the centurion that he had the greatest faith in all of Israel because he understood the authority that you have over something when you remain under the authority of Jesus. People want to come outside of his authority and they don't want to correct their lives. They don't want to talk different, be different, act different, do things different, and then they wonder why everything's falling apart. 
Well, you know, Pastor, we have grace. Yeah, we have grace, which empowers you to get past that and to quit doing that and to live different. So let's start breaking that off. And I promise you, you see some over, overcoming. Well, how bad do we want to overcome? Is it worth putting that down? Is it worth bridling our tongue? Is it worth acting different? Is it worth being different? Is it worth it? This thing's destroying my life, Pastor. This thing, you know, it's just breaking me down. This thing just, I can't seem to get any control over it. I'm just concerned, worried. I'm, I just don't have peace. And these are the steps that we got to look at. I'm sorry, there's no magic button. No snap of the fingers. There's no one verse I can give you and say, just read this ten times out loud. Then wash your hands and take a bath and it's all better. But the word of God does work. The word of God is true. The word of God is life and it's peace. It'll change every situation you ever come into contact with. Father, I thank you tonight that your word has gone freely. I thank you that this condition of worry, our situations that we're worried, concerned about, first of all, we cast them to you because you said that you care for us. See, that qualifies you to be someone we can cast our cares on. We're, we're, we're busy putting our cares on something that doesn't, care for, that doesn't care about us. We're trying to put our cares off on something that can't bear the weight. But you qualify because you said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Father, we cast our cares tonight. Right now. And Father, we will develop ourselves in a relationship with you to be in your word, to think on those things that are good. Think on those things that are true. Think on those things that are lovely and pure, just, of good report. We're tired of focusing on the bad report. We're tired of looking at at how terrible everything is. And we seek first your kingdom, your way of doing things. We seek first your righteousness, and living in alignment with your governing authority. Father, if there are areas in our lives that we have been unwilling to give you, unwilling to let go of, unwilling to change, I thank you right now that you are bringing those to our minds, that you are identifying those things. We recognize them and we change them because we want to walk in your blessings. We want to walk in a life that's of peace, not of worry. Not destruction. Your life that you have for us. Father, I thank you for every person here that this word will continue to resonate within them. I thank you that we will be changed. We will be different from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.